0: Good morning, church family. My name's Derek. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here. And uh, my trade secret is that, uh, that I need to read the back screen in order to preach, so maybe there'll be no sermon. I mean, I, and why would I even try after the comedy routine that just, that just preceded me? Nope, sorry, too bad for you. This is all I need. This is all I need. So we will get into God's word here in a moment. Um, good to see all of you, good to look around and see familiar faces and uh, new faces as well. Uh, welcome to those of you joining us online. Uh, one thing that is just good to be aware of, church family, is that uh, while many, many of us are, have been here for many years, and while many of us are here, uh, have, have known Faith Church for a while, uh, we continue to see new faces here in the, in the worship center and online every week. And so we're thankful to God for that, and we're thankful to you uh, being such a caring church family and receiving those people with care and, uh, and allowing Faith Church to be a place of worship that, uh, that people feel welcome and loved and are pointed to Jesus. So thank you for being that kind of church family. Um, well, I, uh, if you've been around a little bit, you haven't seen me and my family. We were gone for a couple weeks for uh, some vacation this summer. Had a chance to take our travel trailer and go to California and camp with my brother and his family in Santa Cruz on the beach. Had a great time, cousins enjoying each other, um, catching up and all those good things. Um, saw lots of uh, beautiful God's creation on the way and while we were there. Um, and then, you know, what happens with vacation, at some point, it's over. And when it's over, uh, many of us then return to work. And, uh, and, I, and I, can, I can say from the bottom of my heart that I really, uh, overall, in general really love what God has given me to do. And, uh, and, and, but I can also tell you honestly that the transition back this time was a little rocky. Uh, you know, you come back out of vacation mode, and a couple things hit you in the face as you, as you transition back to work, whatever that looks like for you. And, uh, but clinging to God and knowing that he's with us, knowing that he's with me, um, returning to work, returning to what I love to do, and, and, and much of that is because of you. So, So thank you. Uh, We are in a series of messages called Walk Worthy as we study the book of the Bible called Ephesians. So open your Bible if you would or the app on your phone and get to Ephesians chapter 5. And in a couple minutes I'll start reading from Ephesians 5 and then our passage this morning is actually in chapter 6. So... Uh, We are studying kind of passage by passage through this letter in our Bible called Ephesians written by a church leader named Paul to a group of Christians 2,000 years ago in a town called Ephesus. But because this is God's word, these were words to those Ephesian Christians, but because this is God's word, it is also uh, words for us this morning. Uh, So as we prepare for that, I want to get you thinking, want to have it fresh in your mind how this may, how God's word may apply to you this morning. Um... You know, when we meet people, one of the default questions, for, for better or worse, is often, what do you do? And, and we want to know what what, what they do for work, what one of the main things they do to spend their time is. So I want you to have this in mind. What is it that you do? What is your work? And, and I know some of these uh, answers are more obvious, perhaps, or pop to our mind more easily. Uh, those that have a paid job, that is often our work. But I want to say that this God's Word this morning has something for everyone as we talk about work, whether you're paid or unpaid, whether you're in a career or retired from a career, uh, what is it that you, what is it that you give your time and energy to? What has God put in front of you these days to be doing? Paid or unpaid, in the workplace or at home, with family? Or, or with coworkers, or with customers, or what is it that God has given to you to do? Where does your time and energy uh, goal, go? What, what roles do you have? Paid, volunteer, uh, lots, of, lots of possibilities. Do you have that in mind? What it is that God has given you to do in these days? Where, where he wants to use you and where he wants to work in and through you? Okay, <laughs> good. We want to um, see what God has to say for it, to us this morning about work. Uh, and as we study the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians, the first three chapters in particular were full of this glorious good news of what God has done for us. This morning, a few minutes ago, we sang that our wealth is in the cross, that, that God The gospel we celebrate around here, the gospel we proclaim, the gospel we remind ourselves of weekly is the good news that God rescues sinners like you and I through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That our wealth is in the cross and what Jesus has done for us there. And not only is that Because of Jesus and the cross, because of his life, death, and resurrection, do we have new life? Do we have eternal salvation? Not only have we been taken out of sin and forgiven, taken out of darkness and brought into the light, taken out of doom to death and into eternal life with God, as if that wasn't enough gospel good news, the gospel changes everything about our lives. As we we become followers of Jesus, as we know him and as we follow him, Everything about us is being changed. It's being made new from the inside out. And so the rest of Ephesians, the rest of this letter then, is asking us to kind of put this good news of what God has done for us into action. What do our lives look like? Our series is called Walk Worthy because God is asking us to walk or live in a manner that is worthy of what he has done for us through Jesus. And so we want to we be asking, what does this look like in my life? How does this play out? How does the fact that God has rescued me, a broken sinner who rebels against him, how, how does it play out that because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, how do I then live that out? How do I live out the ways of Jesus in, in, in my various spheres of influence, in my various relationships, in the various areas that God has given me to do? So, by way of reminder... Let's read um, brief, a brief passage, Ephesians 5, starting at verse 15. We've already studied this. We've already uh, taught this. You're always welcome to go to our website or go to our YouTube page and, and watch messages that you've missed. But this is a, by way of a reminder and as an introduction for today. Let's read Ephesians 5, verses, uh, verse 15 and following. Look carefully, then, how you walk or how you live, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. And what does being filled with the Spirit look like? This is what we've taught in recent weeks. Be filled with the Spirit, verse 19, And that looks like addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Verse 20, it looks like being a Spirit-filled follower of Jesus looks like giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 21, being a Holy Spirit-filled follower of Jesus also plays out and looks like submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That our life as spirit-filled followers of Jesus includes singing and lifting our voices in adoration of him to glorify him, but also to encourage the others around us who are hearing us lift our voices. That a spirit-filled follower of Jesus, our life also looks like giving thanks. And yes, our spirit-filled life also looks like where God calls us to submit, to defer to another's authority. That is God's will for us. And so in recent passages, since we covered this passage and before this morning, we have taught through some of these relationships and some of these family relationships we have. What does it look like to be a spirit-filled follower of Jesus as a husband, as a wife, as a child, as a parent, and now today um, as a slave or master? And at first we go, hmm, slaves and masters— Will this relate to us at all? And and I think you'll find that it will, more than we might think at first. So today's passage is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5 and following. So turn there with me now, chapter 6, verse 5 and following. I'll read the whole passage, um, and then we'll take a little closer look and go back through it. Chapter 6, verse 5. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart Knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. So, let's talk a little bit about slaves and masters. How is this going to apply to us? Uh, For the sake of time, though, I'll just say right off the top, for the sake of time, I'm not going to go super in-depth here about what the role of a bondservant was in in these times in history. Um, If it's uh, something of interest to you, there's excellent resources out there. You could read more about this. Uh, So I'm not going to go too in detail. But when we try to put our mind this morning around, what is this relationship between bondservant and master— I have said this to you before, perhaps, but I just encourage you to think differently than what we think of when we think of slavery in U.S. history. A lot of times, that's most what, what comes to our mind most commonly when we think of slaves. And, and I think it's safe to just say, let's let's think differently. That's not the type of slavery uh, or, or the view of slavery that we're looking at. In this town, in Ephesus, that this letter was written to, it is, emph- it is estimated that a third of the population— would have been these slaves, these bondservants. And, and here in, in this passage of Scripture, they are being addressed right on the heels of these other family relationships, right? Husbands, wives, children, and, and parents, and now slave-master. And it's because a third of the population was slaves. This slave-master relationship was very common. And, and, and so these, these bondservants were viewed as an integral part of the family. And so it's just a, it fits in this series of instructions for members of the family. But for the most part, these servants were not subject to extreme exploitation like we think of when we think of slavery in U.S. history. These were not servants that were suffering and being exploited in those ways for the most part. Generally, this type of slave-master relationship was practiced humanely. And in fact, most of these bondservants anticipated, could, could anticipate being set free, and being set free before they were very old. And so it was this relationship, it was this working relationship that was part of, of the normal practice of the times. Um, what else? Slaves, as we maybe think of, 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 of again, of U.S. history, um, this type of slave-master relationship did not affect their social status. In fact, these bondservants were also always often viewed um, with the same social status of their master. And if you were to walk around Ephesus looking at the appearances of people, you wouldn't even know the difference necessarily between slave and free. So it's, it's much different perhaps than we, um, we might picture. This relationship that we're speaking of here, bondservant and master, was closer to employer-employee, to worker and boss, than we first might think. Uh, And so therefore, God's word definitely applicable to us today as we think of what is our work, what has God given us to do, whether paid or unpaid, um, what does he have for us in, in our work experience and in our work relationships? So there's Hopefully that helps as we um, consider the passage further. So again, I want it to be fresh in our minds. Where do you fall into that category? Where are you uh, possibly a boss? Where are you possibly a worker? Um, You know, over the history of my life, I've been really interested in, one of the things I get a kick out of learning about is um, more about myself and these various tools out there that help us learn about the way that God has made us. I I enjoy uh, personality profiles, you know, learning more about the different personality types and how how God has wired me and how that helps me to interact with others. Uh, I've enjoyed that. I've enjoyed learning about my spiritual gifts. Um, I've uh, enjoyed—I even read a book on birth order and how our birth order— uh, the the way the, the timing we were born into our, our family of origin, how that affects our personality and, and, and the way we behave. And so I find it fascinating. And uh, some of you that know me won't be surprised to know that I'm a firstborn. And some of you know, and if perhaps you're a firstborn, you know what some of the things that go with being a firstborn are. And yes, if I'm not careful, I could be bossy or maybe was at certain pre-sanctification points of my life, bossy, right? Um, But I'll tell you, I, I love right now, in my role, in this church family, on our staff team, I love being a boss. But it's not because I love being bossy. It's not because I'm a big old jerk who wants to be in charge of people. I'll tell you why I love being a boss here, is because our staff team is a bunch of spectacular human beings That I love being around. Yeah. And so that is, right now, one of the gifts from God to me in the experience that I'm having and in in serving in this church is I'm thankful for that group of people. But some of you, perhaps, are a boss or are in charge, are supervising people in what God has given you to do. And so uh, whether that's paid or unpaid, have that in mind. As we get to the verses that are directed toward masters what does god have for you out of this passage and um and while i'm a while in ways i am a supervisor or a boss around here i also am very much an employee I, and, and i like serving and working um, and, and being an employee because of you because of my church family and and i'll tell you this too one of the reasons I love being a, a worker, an employee in this church family, is because I love my bosses. I love, being, I love serving you, and I love the elder team that God has given us. The elders, uh, our leadership team, is a group of, of unbelievable guys who love Jesus and are, are devoting time and energy and passion to uh, caring for our church family and to seeking God's will and uh, wanting their lives and the ministry of this church to glorify Jesus. And so, as, a, as an employee, I am blessed to be working and serving uh, because of them. So, again, many of you are employees or workers. And again, paid or unpaid, what is the role? What is the work that God has given you to do? Keep that in mind. And what does God have for us today? Because as we get now into the passage again here in Ephesians 6... Um, Passages like this, the intent of this passage is not to address the morality of slavery. Christianity, following Jesus, the morals of our our God, definitely impact and help uh, help do away with institutions like slavery. And we see uh, this type of slave relationship fade away, and we've seen the, the, the form of slavery in the U.S. fade away. And, and, and a lot of that is, is due to followers of Jesus seeking God's will on those kinds of things. But that's not the purpose of this passage. The purpose of this passage, the emphasis here is, in the midst of a, of a socially acceptable structure for that time, this slave-master-worker-boss relationship, the emphasis of this passage is God writing the word through Paul, Two workers and bosses to go. Okay, how does it look like to follow God in my role? How does it look like to be? What does it look like to be a believing in Jesus worker? Or if I'm a boss, what does a spirit-filled believing boss do? Or how do they? How do they behave? Ephesians six verse five starts with bond servants, obey your earthly masters. Obey your earthly masters. In the context of our passage, in the context of Ephesians that we've reviewed this morning, we have there are relationships in our human experience where God calls us to submit. He calls wives to submit to the authority of their husband, but then he has a high call for the role of husband as well. God, we talked about that a, couple weeks, a few weeks ago. Last week's passage, taught by Pastor Ed, children are called to submit to their parents or obey their parents. And then parents are given a high call of what it looks like to honor God in their relationship as parents. And like that here, in in this example of worker and boss, workers are called to submit to their boss. And then in a minute, we're going to get to God's call, God's expectations for masters, for the bosses as well. So, bond servants, obey your earthly masters. And, and, all, and, and as we've maybe done before in other situations, there's always a key asterisk here that when it comes to your calling to obey your master or your boss. Certainly the asterisk is, unless it means doing something immoral, unless it means doing something against the Bible, that it goes against the ways of following Jesus, um, certainly anything that, that would cause you to compromise your commitment as a follower of Christ, is not included here in obeying your master, your your boss. But otherwise, otherwise, under God, and with God's sovereignty over our lives and over our relationships, we can submit to bosses. We can obey uh, what our authority over us asks us to do because... Among other places, we see on the screen, Romans 13.1 reminds us that every person should be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And, and the authorities that exist have been instituted by God. Our view of God and our view of God's sovereignty over all things includes who we find ourselves subject to. Who we find ourselves in, uh, uh, under their authority that these are not accidents of God but ordained by God and whether those masters or authorities are believers in Jesus or not, what are God's purposes for us in being subject to them? What do we have to learn? And how can we glorify Jesus? How can our lives reflect God's love and the good news of Jesus as we seek to glorify him in the way we are workers or in the way we are bosses? So, What does this passage tell us about how workers should obey? What does being a Spirit-filled, Holy Spirit-filled follower of Jesus employee look like? Well, look through the verses five and following, and we'll see several things. Workers should obey respectfully. In our passage, we see that the words, with fear and trembling. And when it says with fear and trembling, this is not to give us the picture of Uh, shaken in our boots, afraid of the boss, scared to make a mistake. No, the idea there is we should serve with fear and trembling, with reverence, with respect um, for the boss. How else should workers obey? The passage teaches us we should uh, obey respectfully, then sincerely. We see the words in the passage with sincere heart. In other words, we should serve and, and work and, and obey our master uh, sincerely, from the heart, not not with, a, with an ulterior motive or, or um, with hypocrisy of, of just kind of saying something that we don't mean, but sincerely serving. Workers should obey masters respectfully, sincerely. Also, we see the idea of serving conscientiously. In verse 6, we see the words, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. So conscientiously, what does it look like to be a conscientious worker? That our work is not different when the boss looks away? I mean, you get that picture. One of the, the, the commentators about this passage that I studied this week brought up the picture of um, Of of being a student in a class and the teacher giving a test and what do we look like when the teachers watching and what do we look like when the teacher looks away you know and, and it's that idea of with our bosses is is we can work conscientiously not doing something different just because the boss isn't looking that laziness and doing the bare minimum are not honoring to God so so what is the role that God has given you to do what is your work if you're a worker, an employee in some area in your life, if, if what is it that God has given you in this season of life to give your time and energy to, and are you obeying respectfully, sincerely, conscientiously? And then we also see a, a, an expectation of that we work pleasantly. The passage says, "Rendering service with a good will, with a cheerful attitude." Workers obey respectfully, sincerely, conscientiously, pleasantly. So, so perhaps that helps us know what it looks like to work, be a spirit filled worker. Why? Why would we obey? What, what is our motive? What, what are we focused on as we obey, as we work? Verse 7 in our passage, chapter 6, verse 7 Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not man. You think about that as employee, as a worker. Oftentimes we think of our work as being to our company or to our supervisor. But here the, God's word is saying we, we render our service, we serve as a worker as to the Lord, not to humans. Verse eight, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. So what is our, obe- our, our motivation to obey? What do we focus on? Or, or I should say, of course, who do we focus on as a worker? We focus on Jesus. I mean, can you think about it? think about what it is that God's given you to do? I had you bring it to mind this morning. What is it in this season of life that God has you doing? What is your work? And can you, and can you can think for a second about how different it would be if we could keep this in mind, if we could ask for God's help, if we could recognize that as we serve our bosses, that we are serving the Son of God. How would it transform our work if we really could, could learn what that means? And I don't know if it's as easily, I, I think it's easier said than done, that we're doing our job unto the Lord. But can we ask for God's help to understand that? What does it look like um, to recognize that as we serve our bosses, we are serving Jesus, our Savior, and allow that to then transform the way we approach our work, allow that to transform our heart as we go about our work if we're recognizing that what we do is to the Lord, for the Lord. So uh, earlier I asked you, what is it that you are doing? What is your work in this season of life? Now I want you to take a minute and picture doing that for Jesus. Jesus. Whether it's it's your big picture, your job responsibility, or even just imagine one of your small daily tasks that God has given you to do. And take a minute and, and, and imagine doing that for the Lord. As if Jesus was the recipient of your service. As if Jesus was eating the meal that you prepare. As if Jesus was the customer at your counter. Or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What for you? Personalize it. What has God given you to do? What is your work in this season? And, and imagine doing it for Jesus. Can you see that? Let's. I I just think that I think that would be transformative to keep that in mind. If we could get away from kind of the begrudging, I'm working for my boss, I'm working for this company, I'm not sure whether I like the company or not. If we, could, if we could transform our perspective to that the work God has given me to do, I am doing unto the Lord. I think that could make a big difference in the way we approach our work. So let's, let's uh, as we finish up the passage then, the focus now shifts from God's uh, word for workers for employees, and now God's word has some instruction for bosses or masters. Verse 9, masters, do the same to them. Simple, and yet perhaps shocking, because sometimes what is our perspective of, of being the boss? It, it, the instructions now in God's word are, hey, get, get, use them to get what you want, Use your employees to, you know, to help yourself climb the ladder. The instructions from God's word aren't, you know, hey, mistreat them. You're better than them. You're more important than them. The first line in God's word as he addresses bosses is, do the same, treat them the same. Do unto them the way you would want to be treated. The idea here really is this, this golden rule idea that we see Jesus himself speak elsewhere in Luke sixty one, 6.31. Jesus himself says, As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. So masters, bosses, if God has put you in a, in a position of responsibility, if you're overseeing people, if you're in charge of the work that God has given you to do, and you want respect, guess what? Show respect. Treat people with respect. If you uh, bosses uh, want your employees to, ha- to work with sincerity, like we talked about a few moments ago, then you be sincere and real and, and caring about them from the heart. If you want your workers to be conscientious, then, then masters, we bosses, we will model conscientious uh, work as unto the Lord if we want our, our workers to be pleasant, then wouldn't it be helpful, bosses, for us to treat them pleasantly and to interact with a good, um, with a good attitude? So verse 9 says, Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing, this is, this is a key, here we go, knowing that he who is both their master and yours So the same master or different masters? Yep. Even though earthly, their earthly roles are different, even though the earthly boss has more authority in that role over the worker, God's word is charging masters to remember that they serve the same master. That is the employee's master and the boss's master is the master, our great God who is in heaven. And that there is no partiality with him. So while the master or the employer uh, has this superior authority in, on earth, uh, they must view themselves bosses if you're a boss. This is uh, something to, to check ourselves on, to, uh, to check our attitudes on, is that we must treat people around us, our workers, as uh, fellow sons and daughters of, of the great God, as uh, equals before God, and, and will that transform the way we interact? Uh, I, thought elsewhere, I thought of Scripture elsewhere. This will be on the screen. Matthew 20, verses 25 and following. Uh, Jesus called to them and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Their, their leadership is, is, is big and important and, and lording it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But then Jesus contrasts, verse 6 speaking to his disciples, his followers, the leaders of the, of the beginnings of the church, Jesus says, it shall, be, it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man, Jesus referring to himself, even as I came not to be served, but to serve, and give my life as a ransom for many we can follow Jesus' own example there of of leadership, of of being boss, as not lording it over people, as not having authority over them and putting them under and putting them down, but by serving, by giving of ourselves. That should guide the way we lead, the way we interact, the way we care for those that are under us, that are under our authority. Um, So, Here's where I want to finish is I, I just something as I studied came to my mind that I have felt eye-opening and, and helpful in the past. And all this, so all this talk in, in our passage today about workers and bosses brings up the topic of, of work in general. You know, I've, I've asked you multiple times to consider what it is that God's given you to do, whether paid or unpaid. What is your role? What, are you, what does God have for your time and energy? And so I, I think it's a good opportunity just to talk about work in general. And um, I don't know, if we're honest, if I just say the word work, or I say your job, what are your first impressions, your first connotations? And I hope that many of you love what you do and enjoy what it is that God has given you to do. And I think that is probably true with many of you. But I also know that kind of maybe too often when, when we talk about work, or when you think about your job, sometimes it, it comes with a little bit of like, Argh. it comes with a little bit of weight or it comes with a little bit of discouragement. Or, and if that's true for you, um, I, I, and, and really for all of us, I want us to consider something about work. Um, perhaps you feel burdened at times by the rat race, by, by the pressure to climb the ladder. Uh, perhaps there are times when it feels like the work that God has given us to do is meaningless and it's 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 trivial. It's behind the scenes. No one knows or cares. Maybe there's times when you feel like um, it's a, you know work is a waste of time, and you kind of it's a kind of a necessary evil. You gotta only only gotta do it, and to get to the the, the end the, the it's a means to the end. That's what I'm trying to say to where we want to get to. Um, but here's what I wanted to, us to just think about. In the beginning, in the beginning of the Bible, in the beginning of 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 God's story that is revealed in his scripture. In the beginning, the first humans, Adam and Eve, lived in an idyllic setting in the Garden of Eden. God created them, male and female. In his image, he created them. He created them to be in relationship with God. In the beginning of our Bible, in the early chapters of Genesis, where we see things as God intended, as God's best God and humans living in harmony, living in relationship with one another in this idyllic setting and things being as they should. And in Genesis 2.15 that's on the screen, it says the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And so I just want us to think about something. Sometimes I think we think of work as punishment for our sin. As, as, a, as a result of the broken world, that we know we live in a broken world, that it, after what we call in Genesis 3 the, the fall, or the entrance of sin into the world, things were as God wanted them to be, Genesis 1 and 2, as God intended, this relationship were in harmony, living with God. And then it isn't until Genesis 3 that we see the fall, the entrance of sin, and Adam and Eve going rebelling against God's desires for them, and the entrance of sin into the world. So while work might sometimes, for some of us, feel like a result of the fall or like punishment, I want us to note what chapter and verse work is instituted in, before or after the fall? Before. Before the fall. Work is part of God's good plan for you. It's not punishment for sin. Work, honoring him and honoring those around us, is part of God's good plan for, him, for you. It is part of God's good plan for us to be productive. Now, the entrance of sin into the world, the fall, corrupted everything, including work, making work more difficult, making work, maybe making us struggle at times, toil, exactly. Exactly. So, the entrance of sin into the world did affect it, but I just want us to not miss that at its root, at its origin, at, at its heart, work is God's good intention for us to be productive. And so, while we await the glorious return of Jesus because Jesus is coming back someday, amen. And when he returns, he will set all things right. And that scene that I described about the beginning of God's story in Genesis 1 and 2 of how things were, that is the way God loves and intends things to be. And when Jesus returns someday, he will set all things right. And that will be our experience again. So until we, uh, as we await the glorious return of Jesus when he sets all things right, in the meantime, we can honor God's intention for us. We can live lives that are worthy of the gospel good news of Jesus. Because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we are saved. It is possible for us to be in relationship with a holy and perfect God. And then we can live out the ways of Jesus in our lives and in our spheres of influence and in our relationships. And so while we await the return of Jesus— we can work as unto the Lord. And we can be employees honoring the Lord. And we can be masters who want to glorify the Lord in all, in all they do and say. Father God, thank you for teaching us through your word. God, we thank you that we have this book, the Bible, that you have given us. That we can study, that we can hear from you. God we pray that this, this purpose of Ephesians would be true for us, that, that we would marvel at the wealth we have in the cross, that, that as we studied in the early chapters of Ephesians, that God we pray this would be true for us, that we would celebrate the rich, the spiritual riches, the spiritual blessings we have because of Jesus. God, we thank you for your Son, for the cross for his life, death, and resurrection that brings us new life. And so, God, as we thank you for those spiritual blessings, as we thank you for the wealth we have in the cross, would you then teach us to live out your ways? Would you help us as followers of Jesus, as as spirit-filled followers of Jesus, to live out your ways, to glorify you in all that we do and say, God, I pray that our marriages would be honoring to you. I pray that our parent-child relationships would be overseen by you. And I pray that as we work and as we supervise, God, that you would work in us and through us, that you would change us and make us into the people you want us to be. God, remind us that in all these situations, in, in, in life, in marriage, in parenting, and in work, life isn't fair. It isn't about me. God, remind me Instead, to entrust myself to you. God, help my church family to entrust themselves to you. No matter what the circumstances are, no no matter whether these relationships and experiences seem fair or go our way or not, God, help us not to look out for number one, but help us to put others first. To submit where you call us to submit, to love where you call us to love, Thank you for your son. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for salvation in Jesus. Help us to live it out and help us to worship you now in response and in thankfulness for all you've done. We give our offerings. We lift our voices. We say our prayers. We hug our church family all as if unto you, all as thankful to you so that you might get all the glory.